Uh, well, good morning. My name is uh, Jermaine, associate pastor here at Grace Covenant Church in Sterling. I um, have the pleasure and honor of being able to serve in this way this morning. Uh, we're going to be uh, serving in this way this morning as far as preaching the word to you all. Um, and I've been encouraged by this word myself, so I'm, I'm praying and hoping that you all will be encouraged as well. Um, we are going to be hopping into a, we're going to be pausing on the Jonah series right now, and we're going to be hopping into a, a new series for these next few weeks um, called Jesus Walks. And I'm, I'm hoping, really hoping that, uh, that God speaks to all of us through it. We're a little tight on the time, so I'm going to skip a few things here and just hop right into the, to the meat of it. That's okay? All right, here we go. So when I, when I talk, I would love for you guys to just, can, you know, talk back to me. That's okay? All right? There's a pastor in, uh, at, at our uh, sister congregation in Harrisonburg, and he says, Pastor Chris Johnson, he says, participation is better than observation. And what that means is as you participate, as you talk back, that means that, that you are more than just observing and listening to me, but you are taking things in and you are responding to what God might be saying through the sermon. So I would love for you guys to talk back to me just a little bit. I did have a story I was going to tell you guys about me hiding and, and hiding from my parents and getting in really big time trouble. And the reason why I was hiding was because I did something I wasn't supposed to do. And uh, it's a long story, so I'm going to skip that one. Um, but I, I was hiding, and the reason why my, my, my family couldn't find me was because they were running around looking for me, and they couldn't see me. And I got to thinking, you know who would have found me in that moment? Jesus. Jesus would have found me. Why would Jesus would have found me in the moment? One, because he's God, and he would have found me. But, but for the sake of this message, he would have found me because unlike my parents and my family who were running around, Jesus would have been walking. Jesus walks. That's what I'm talking about here today. As we look through Scripture, what we see is Jesus walking. We never actually see any moment within the Gospels Jesus doing anything but walking. He's not jogging, he's not speed walking, he's not running. There, there weren't any bicycles or unicycles or motorcycles or motorboats, but he wasn't even on a sailboat. He was always walking. And this is what we see Jesus. This is what I would like to call the, the, the pace of grace is Jesus and he's walking. It's the pace of someone who really has all eternity to accomplish what he wants to do in the earth. Someone who has all the time in the world doesn't need to rush to get it done. Jesus is walking. He's walking. Even when we, we look at um, running in Scripture, when it's referring to us in Scripture, it's really talking less about the pace at which we're going in, but it's really talking about, hey, you run this race, that's, that's, you are meant to endure, you are meant to run with tenacity, you are meant to run with some aggression and running towards something and some intention, but it's never to overtake the pace of walking. Jesus is walking, but how many of you know that that is not our pace? Especially in Northern Virginia, we are 
as fast-paced as fast-paced can be. I was thinking the other day, even when I was watching a video, I was watching a video on one and a half speed, and I watched the next video on two times speed just so I can get through the video so I can get on to the next thing that I wanted to do, and that's just the pace at which we're running. We're just going and we're going and we're going, and we're fast-paced so much so that we miss God because we're running and God is walking. N.T. Wright says it like this, if we slow down, we actually might catch up to God. (laughs) We were running so hard, we're trying to fit God into our own pace instead of actually running at God's pace and trying to, to fit our lives into his stride. And we wonder, family, sometimes why we miss God. We wonder sometimes why our relationship with God seems to be lacking and there's dissatisfaction with who he is because we are running and he is walking. I got to thinking like it's a, like, a, like running a 4 by 100 relay. Like that's us. We're running a relay race, 4 by 100 race. But Jesus is walking. Can you imagine what it would be like to try to catch a baton from someone who's walking while you're running? Think about it for a second. It's impossible, right? It's not happening. It doesn't happen. Because as you're running, you're running past what God is trying to pass to you. I had this picture of Jesus trying to pass on his life. He's trying to pass on his spirit. He's trying to pass on his hope and his faith and his joy and his peace. And he's trying to pass on all of these things to us. But we can't catch it because we are running and he is walking. He's walking. He's walking. And sometimes I think that God purposely slows us down sometimes. Or he allows fast-paced, halting types of circumstances and situations in our life so that we can slow down for just a moment so that we can see him. Because if we don't slow down, we'll miss him. We miss him all the time. And I'm here to say God misses us. He wants us to be with him and to see him. But he's walking and we're running. So today, or next three weeks, we're going to talk about Jesus walking in our life and what it looks like for him to walk with us and to walk alongside us and to walk by us and to walk towards us and to walk with us and to walk on things for us. Like this is who he is. And this is what we're going to be talking about this week. You guys ready for that? Can you say Jesus walks? We're not going to wrap it like Kanye. We're just going to say it. <laughs> Look at your neighbor today and say, Jesus walks for you. So we're going to hop into our, our, our text this morning. Uh, Matthew 4, 18. Let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word here this morning. We're going to read it together. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. 
They were in the boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are God who walks. You're God who walks in a way to be seen and to see us. And I thank you, God, that today we will have a revelation of who you are as a God who's walking towards us and into our life. And God, it would stir up something in our heart to surrender to you. God, do a work in us. Speak through me this morning and transform hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. You can be seated. So Matthew, in Matthew chapter 4, this is what I would, what we would call or um, some studies would call the official call of the first disciples. But it actually wasn't their initial call. Like before we get to Matthew 4, chronologically, we have John chapter 1. And this is actually the first time in John chapter 1 that we actually see Jesus walking by disciples and calling disciples. And it gives us really great insight into who Jesus is, into what Jesus is trying to accomplish in the disciples' life, and respectfully what he's trying to accomplish in our life. So I'm going to read, actually, a couple of verses from this moment in Scripture in John chapter 1, verses 29 through 31, and it says this. It says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then we get to verse 35 and and 36, and it says, the following day, John was standing again, again with the two disciples, with two of his disciples. And as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. Now, John yells out as, the, as Jesus walks by, look, it's him. It's the one, Jesus. And he walks by in such a way that John could recognize him and point his way and proclaim exactly who Jesus is, that Jesus is the lamb. And it's important, really, for me to pause here for just a moment. I'm going to spend a little time because I think what John is trying to say about Jesus and what And what he's actually not saying about Jesus is important for us to really catch in this moment. Because there's so many words and adjectives and and ways that John could have described Jesus in the moment to get people's attention. But he chose to use the word, it's the Lamb of God. Why would he use that? What would be the significance of that? I think the hearers in the moment would have understood it, that the Lamb in their Jewish religious context was, was one that was used for a sacrifice. The lamb would be used as a substitute. So they would take the lamb and they would slay the lamb and the lamb would, would bleed and the blood would, would be, be shed and is shed for the forgiveness of their sins. But it was never meant to take away their sin. It was really just a picture and a portrait that was pointing to something that God was going to do later, pointing to something greater that God was going to do, that God was going to send a perfect lamb a perfect lamb who would bleed. And those that, are, those that would have been really good church folks in this moment 
would have known the prophecy in Isaiah 3 that talks about this, Isaiah 53, that talks about this man who would come and who would become the lamb and who would be led to slaughter. They would have known it. They would have been praying for it. They would have been yearning for it. They would have been groaning with expectation that somehow this lamb would come in their lifetime. And here it is. Here we have John in the moment saying, look, this is the one we've been waiting for. It's the lamb. It's him. It's Jesus. Look at him. And I think it's important here again to, to kind of lean in just a little bit more that he's talking about the lamb. I mean, John, John could have used so many moments, so many different words to describe Jesus. So many different ways to describe him. I, the one that I thought about the most and one that's depicted in both the Old Testament and the New Testament is that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the lion and he's the lamb. Wondering why John couldn't have used them both in the moment. Because he certainly uses it in Revelation. <laughs> the lion and the lamb. And you would think if he's trying to get people's attention, um, I, te- I go back to the lion king where Mufasa is holding Simba, right? He's holding him up. This is going to be the new king. Like, this is the lion. The lion is strong. The lion is so different from the lowly lamb who's going to be led to slaughter. The lion is is strong and mighty, and it roars, and it fights, and the lion is victorious. If you want to get people's attention, you would say, here's the lion of the tribe of Judah. But he's saying, here's the lamb. Here's the lamb. And I think the reason why John is proclaiming this one aspect of Jesus that he's trying to establish some right expectations for who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do. That Jesus has come to do mainly one thing, family. And that's to get up on the cross that was meant for us to die for us and to take away the sins of the world. So that anyone who will believe in him and what he has done would not perish, but be free from the punishment of their own sin and have eternal life. That is what Jesus has come to do. Everything else, really, every miracle that Jesus performs, every act that he, would, that he would do as a lion was meant to really just display his power so that those people would believe that he was actually powerful enough to take away the sins of the world. Every lion roar is meant to be a revelation for the lamb. And why is this important for us to know? Why is it important for us to know that Jesus walks in such a way to be seen by John the Baptist, for John the Baptist to declare him as this lamb, for this is who he is? And this was, this was difficult for me to wrestle with and to come to grips with a little bit. I think I've probably wrestled with this my in, entire life, but I want you to, to hear what Jesus is trying to say about who he is in this passage. He's saying, look at me. Look at me. I am the lamb that you need. And not necessarily the lion that you want. I am the lamb that you need and not necessarily the lion that you want. God's greatest desire is for us to see him in this way 
that he walks by so that he can be seen as the lamb that he has come to take care of, what I would say is our, our greatest need. There is this big void that we have, and it's called sin, and sin separates us from God. And there is no way that we as people can be good enough, can sacrifice enough, can do all the right things enough to close that gap. So God says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my son Jesus to die in your place, to take this place, to be the lamb, so that you can now have relationship with the Father forever and ever and ever. This is the lamb. See the lamb. It gives new meaning to songs that we sing. Oh, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. This is him. Can you see him as the lamb? And this is what he wants us to see this morning. And the reason why I'm leaning in just a little bit more, because I think, I think sometimes, I think sometimes we are disappointed with God because we have the desires that have deceived us in such a way that that God has become a genie instead of God. And we want God to, to do things for us more than we want the God who does the things. We want the lion for the finite and the material more than we want the lamb for the infinite and the eternal. And this is what he's coming to help us to see that that there, look, there's nothing wrong with laying your request before God. As a matter of fact, I would say, if you can, every day, get before the Lord. Every moment, get before the Lord and lay your request and your needs before a God who is the only one who can do anything about it. Like, that is what I say. We need to do that every day because we need him. But I believe scripture bears this out that God will move on our behalf, not just so we can have something that is good, but so that we can have the God that is good and to have him for all eternity. I don't want want you to miss the forest for the trees, family. I don't want you to miss the lamb for the lion. Jesus walks by to be seen today. He wants to be seen as the lamb to come to deal with our greatest need to take away our sin and to bring us close to him. And if he can do that, Listen, family, if he can do that, he can do anything. He can do anything. Listen to how Romans 8, 32 says it. It says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Family, I want you to see the lion who roars and who fights, but I really do want you to see the lamb who redeems and who frees. And what happens next in John chapter 1 is the initial call of disciples. The disciples, we have, we have Andrew and Peter and Philip and Nathaniel. They make a decision to follow Jesus. And as we finally get to our main text this morning, finally, right, we, we see the disciples in a different place. But they're not with Jesus in that moment. They are back on their boat doing what they've always done, fishing. Let's read it real quick. Verses 18 and 19 of chapter 4 in Matthew says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And it's interesting that we find Peter and Andrew here. It would seem like if we we really trace back the, the steps of the disciples, a lot has happened between John chapter 1 
in Matthew chapter 4. The disciples have walked with Jesus. Jesus has performed his first miracle. His first miracle, which was the wedding in Cana, where he turned the water into wine. The disciples have seen that. Along the way, there's the Samaritan woman who becomes the, the first evangelist who goes to her town and there's revival that breaks out and people begin to know Jesus. Like a lot of things are happening. Jesus is preaching with power. Jesus is healing people and they've, they've seen him do these things. They've heard him preach. They've seen him break through in areas that no one would even dare to enter. They have known this Jesus, but somehow, some way, we find them in this moment not following Jesus, but fishing. And I was wondering, like, why are they still fishing and not following? It could have been a number of reasons, right? Maybe they didn't know exactly what it meant to follow Jesus for their lives. It's possible Jesus didn't make it clear to them. Maybe they weren't completely sold on who Jesus was, though I, I, I don't know if, if, I think they pretty much had some idea. Maybe they needed some money. You know, maybe it's just as simple as, hey, they're just working because they need some money for survival. Maybe they just went back to what they knew because it's just what they knew. And I, I see here in Scripture that it's not really clear why they weren't following Jesus in this moment. Much like it's not really clear why sometimes we are not following Jesus some moments of our life. But this is what we do see that's very clear in the passage. That Jesus is walking by them again and he sees them. Let me say that one more time. What we see in the passage, and what's not clear is why they were fishing and not following Jesus, but what we do see is one of the, the most beautiful moments here is that Jesus is walking by them again, and he sees them. And he's walking by, not this time to be seen, but so that he can see them. And he wasn't running, he wasn't in a sailboat, he was... He was walking, walking in such a way so that they can see him. This is what I would say is the pace of grace. It's the mercy of God that, that he doesn't walk away from us when we're not following him, but he's walking always towards us. It's Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, if you remember, when they disobey God and they sin. What do we see them doing? That they're running and they're hiding and they're shame away from God. And what do we see God doing? It says that God was walking in the garden, yelling out to his son, hey, Adam, where are you? Hey, my boy, come out. It's me. It's God. He's calling his name. He's calling his name, always walking towards us. That is God, and that is Jesus that we see here in this passage, that he's walking towards us. God always, Jesus always walks towards us and calling us, hey, come and follow me. So we, so we lose some of, the, some of the exclamatory emphasis of this word come in our translation. Because we read it and it just says, come, come hither now and follow me. But when you really look it up, that, that word has emphasis. That word has power. It's, it's deep. It's come. Right? It's when someone calls you by your full name, and you know that they don't normally do that, right? So when you call your kids and you say, hey, by their full name, they know it's now, it's time to get your attention. 
is when my, my wife calls me by my real name and not my pet name, right? You know that's, you know that's serious when she says, Jermaine, come here. I grew up in a house where my mom would call me from another room. If anybody grew up like me, you never responded to the call from the other room. Because if you responded to the call from the other room, you may not be responding for the next couple of days. <laughs> my mom would yell out, Jermaine. And if I said what, that's a problem. <laughs> it's problematic for my life. But she calls my name, Jermaine, and the proper response in the moment was to drop everything that I was doing and to walk into the room and say, yes, ma'am, what can I do for you? This is the call that Jesus is making to the disciples in this moment. Again, they are familiar with his voice, and, they are, and he is saying to them, hey, Andrew and Peter, come. Come and follow me. Come with me now. That's his call to the disciples, and that's the same call that God makes towards us today. He is calling us by name. Come. Come. Come and follow me. And it doesn't matter, family, if this is the first time that he's called you, or the second time that he's called you, or the fourth time that he's called you, or the 400th time that he's walked beside and he's called you, or the 4,000th time that he's walked by and he's called you, he still walks by you and walks towards you and calls you to come and walk with him. Jesus is constantly and consistently and faithfully and intentionally walking towards us, and he's seeing us, and he's calling us, and I got to be honest, I, I, I really thought that I would have more people excited about the fact that they know, that they know that they turned their back on God, but God kept walking towards them. Somebody should be really excited that, that you disobeyed God, but God kept walking towards you. No matter how many times you ran away or turned away and disobeyed him, he's walking towards you and calling you, and he sees you. Every part of you, the good, the bad, the ugly, the ugly part that you would never put on Instagram or Facebook that you wouldn't want anyone to see, that's the part that he sees, and it never actually deters him from walking towards you. He's always walking towards us and calling us. He's calling us to follow him. And in other words, Jesus is calling us to surrender. And what is he calling us to surrender? I think we can look at what Peter and Andrew and James and John were doing in verses 18 and 21. And I think it'll, it'll help us a little bit. And I promise we'll be coming to a close soon. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. In verse 21, he says, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and they were in a boat with their father. It says they were preparing their nets. In other versions, it says they, they were mending their nets, fixing their nets. These men were fishermen. Maybe at one point in their life, they were good at it. 
but <laughs> Scripture doesn't really uh, portray them at this season in their life that they're having much success. But this is what they do. This is who they are. This is their identity, right? This is their, their heritage. This is their culture. This is everything that they know. It's their livelihood. That Peter and Andrew are casting nets and James and John are fixing them. Casting, which, which literally means throwing something or placing something somewhere, it can be defined like with force, without force, with effort, without effort. It's pretty much an, an ambiguous term that just means you're dropping something and you're just hoping that you catch something. That's what casting means. I'm not a fisherman. Side note, I hate fishing, so I don't know much about it. Um, so I don't want to do that for a living, I, I, but I digress. It's, um, but this is their life. They're casting nets day by day, minute by minute, month by month, year by year. This is what they're doing. They're casting their nets. It's, it's like our idiom that we would say, hey, you're, you're throwing something on the wall and you're just kind of hoping that it sticks. And this is, this is an expression that, that talks about, hey, look, uh, I'm going to try multiple approaches to, cert- to certain things. I'm going to try different ideas to hope that at some point I'm going to have some success and, and things will happen in my life. And this is what some of us are doing right now. We're, we're casting, right, with our lives. We're trying any and everything with lots of effort or with little to no effort, and we're just trying it, and we're just kind of hoping, hoping that it sticks, man. We find some success and hoping that we'll, we'll be happy, that we'll find, that we'll, maybe we'll find some relationship, hoping that that will, will stick and we'll find some, uh, some peace here in this area and hoping that that sticks and that helps us. And we're just trying different things. And we've been trying all the same things that we've been trying all of our life. And we're just casting our nets in places based on the culture. And we're just casting. And we're just trying to make it. And if that doesn't work, we, we're like James and John. We're mending. We're trying to fix the nets. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But if it's broke, you fix it, right? That's what mending is. That's when, when fishermen aren't catching fish, there's something wrong with the nets. And they're fixing the nets and they're repairing the broken places in hopes that the next time they cast the nets, now with the holes that are filled, they will finally catch something or catch more of what they weren't catching before. And I get this because that's who I am as a person. I'm a mender and I'm a fixer. Like, I like to fix things. And it's mainly because I'm probably just super broken. <laughs> and I, I have a lot of broke things around me. But I spend a lot of time fixing things in my life. I fix things because they're important to me. Because they have value to me. My relationships. My car. My house. I fix those things. Because I, I can't replace them, right? They are significant to me. No way that I will I'll allow them just to stay broken. But the problem is when I try to fix things that I clearly need to let go. I spend countless energy trying to mend something, knowing that it's not going to work or only going to work for a short time, which is really what I would call the definition of insanity. Or I try to fix things without the proper tools, or I try to fix things in the wrong way or by myself. Again, family, fixing things is not bad. It's not bad. It's only... Bad, though, when we place significant value on the wrong person, place, or thing, and it's not the thing that God has called us to fix. Fixing becomes bad when it fastens us into a place where we can't follow Jesus. 
And this is what Jesus is calling the disciples to surrender and calling us as well. He's calling us out of a rut where we are scrambling for success, where we are hoping for hope. We're reaching for certain relationships. We're trying to throw our life certain different places, kind of hoping things will stick, hoping that others will see us, that others will love us on what culture defines for us. And we are continuing to do the same things over and over and over again, hoping for a different result. And we're trying to fill the holes in our life with whatever we can fill the holes with other than following Jesus. And Jesus is walking towards us in a loud voice this morning. He's saying, stop, come and follow me this morning. Surrender what you believe to be your identity. Surrender your skills, your abilities, your hopes, your dreams, your pains, your regrets, your hurts. Surrender them to the one. Stop casting your nets. He's saying stop casting your nets in the same way that you've been casting your nets before. I want you to surrender your nets and allow the one who has the biggest net to define your life for you and to give you a greater purpose than what you could ever think or imagine. And he's saying, stop trying to fix your own life. Stop trying to fix your own life. How about just fix your eyes on the one who can actually fix everything that you need? Surrender to him. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, as I come to a close here, Luke's, Luke's version of this is a little different in chapter 5 of Luke. And I'm, I'm honestly, I'm not quite sure as I studied it if, if it's the same call or if it's a different call. It's tough. It's, it's really tough to really decipher for me a little bit. But I, I believe it's actually a different moment that the disciples are, are actually, after all of this, are on their boat, and they're fishing again. And this time, they've been fishing all night, and they haven't caught anything. And, and Jesus walks by again, but this time he doesn't just walk by. He gets in their boat, and he tells them, hey, won't you guys go a little deeper right now? Go a little deeper for me. And as they go a little deeper, what you see is Jesus saying, hey, will not you go ahead and drop, drop your nets? And they drop their nets. He's in the boat of, of Andrew and Peter. And he says, drop your nets. And they do it reluctantly because they're the fishermen and Jesus is not. But there's like, hey, you know, we're going to listen to you because you told us to do it. <laughs> they drop their nets and then they get the biggest catch of their life. And it's so big that they have to call James and John to come join them to help really receive the haul that Jesus has, has just brought in for them. The greatest catch of their life. And he fills their boat so that they will be free to follow him. And that's what happens. And we see here in verse 8 of chapter 5. Peter, Peter finally seeing Jesus for who he is, and he surrenders. It says when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees 
And he said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore and they left everything and they followed him. He fills their boat. I think God wants to do the same for us. Fill our boats, not just to fill our boats, but so that we will be free to follow him. And so my message, my message today is, is really quite simple. And it's not, it's not to get you to stop, to stop sinning, family. But it's to get you to start seeing Jesus. My belief is that if you can, if you can see Jesus properly, then you'll surrender to Jesus. And if you surrender to Jesus, then he'll save you. If he'll save you, he'll sanctify you. If he'll sanctify you, he'll set you free. Set you free from sin. He'll set you free from your pain. He'll set you free from your hurts and your regrets. He'll set you free from trying all the time. He'll set you free from trying to cast your own nets, just hoping something will stick. Jesus is walking by this morning. And he's calling whether it's the first time he's calling you or the, the thousandth time that he's calling you. He's still walking by. He's calling. He sees you and he's calling. And the question is, will we see him and surrender? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your your grace for your mercy for your faithfulness that you are always walking towards us never away always calling us seeing us the dirty and the dark places you see and it doesn't deter you from us. And I thank you, God, for that. And I pray, God, that we as a people would, would see your grace today, your extravagant and glorious grace, and we would turn our hearts towards you, that we would lay our lives down and run towards you, so that we can walk with you. Today, if there's anybody here in this building that's all eyes are closed here, have an opportunity to hear this message and can understand that Jesus is walking by you today. And he sees you and he's calling you. And maybe this is the first time that you would raise your hand or maybe this is a moment where you're, you're going to choose to rededicate and follow like, like Peter and Andrew. It took a few times. If that's you here in this moment, 
Would you respond by raising your hand? And today you're making a decision to turn towards Jesus. Thank you. God, I thank you for the hearts here today. We're turning towards you. We're following you. Surrendering our life to you. Walking with you. Forgive us in ways that we haven't done that before. And help us today to have the grace, receive the grace, to begin to walk with you and follow you with everything that we have. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.